Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wildbo's most underappreciated work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back for Damages 2.4. Now Damages 2.4 is a chapter that can be summed up in one sentence, which is Blake and Rose talk to lawyers. Uh, thanks everyone. So we'll see you on uh, yep. Friday. Yep, uh, remember for... to check out our website, which is mediamdpodcast.com. Um, no, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's one of them expositions types of chapters there, Elliot. Yeah, it is. It dumps a whole lot of new info on us um, that we'll get into as we get there. But yeah, uh, it, yeah I mean, you know, and it, it does that thing. Wildbo, you know, doesn't like to just dump exposition, so he does some other little bits and pieces here and there, and we'll talk about those as we get to them as well. Yeah. So yeah, you know. The previous chapter ended with Blake turning around and being surprised by three well-dressed lawyers in his living room, um, as anyone would be. And <laughs> this is where we continue. Yeah. Um, and, and so I like this. This One of the first things we get is this description of one of the older uh, lawyers. And he sort of says, we were prompt. And then Blake notes, like, unlike my grandmother, he had the roughness of age in his voice. Somehow he was more human than she'd been, which is yep. this but... great example of... Yeah, it's a good burn, and then it's also, we're using Rose as a point of contrast with this old guy to help explain him, and then also say stuff about Rose Senior as well, like it's great doing, juggling lots of different little things at once, like, you know, that sort of one sentence gives us like three or four pieces of information. It's great. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, this is the thing, one of the things I I really like about this chapter is, the whole time, um, there's this undercurrent of... (laughs) <laughs> these are actual lawyers, but they're also, you know, diabolists or whatever, right? Yeah, because well, I think um, Rose Senior was a lawyer by day, at least. I don't know. She did say she was a lawyer in the first chapter, I think. Oh, really? Well, yeah. you put me on the spot. I don't know if that's true or not, but let's assume it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, but, you know, I mean, we kind of touched on the idea of this extended lawyer joke being a great beat and and the whole the whole chapter is filled with those beats um yeah for example the the lawyers say but if it helps we can start the timer from the moment we made eye contact which is such a you know filling in (laughs) eight minute increments type joke (laughs) oh and it it's just creepy that they can measure that as well yeah yeah and they're like yeah so this is exactly how many minutes and seconds we have left based off of that yeah but uh, it's interesting because the story's already been drawing some parallels between how practitioners operate and, like, just general lawyeringism. As you can tell, this isn't exactly my my domain. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, lawyerism, <laughs> I think, is the, the, the um, correct term. And, and so it's it's kind of funny that we've got the lawyers for the practitioners. So it's kind of like, you know, those, like a law firm that represents other law firms. It's, yeah. um, they're like mega practitionery and mega lawyer yeah well it makes sense that in a world where like the specifics of wording is so important the lawyers would be the most powerful <laughs> yeah um anyway so let's dive into the actual stuff that happens uh so so yes. the conversation kind of starts with blake really trying to identify what their whole deal is um because they're three strange lawyers who have shown up in his living room and, and he, <laughs> he doesn't really want to deal with them without getting to the like well what do you guys get out of this what's in it for you yeah um and it's sort of it's pretty smart i guess to try and figure that out but he doesn't really go for the details like they just keep saying oh it's part of the rose senior contract but he never seems <laughs> to like chase after what are the details of that contract like i'd say that's yeah. pretty important um yeah uh, yeah you know we get we we do know that they're there to kind of execute her will 
um, and, and keep track of how well he's progressing against the markers that she kind of set out for him. Yeah, but but most of the, we don't we don't have very many details on exactly what the contract is and how much they're expected to do and stuff. Like, I, if I were Blake, I'd be asking yeah. to get a copy. But I, I love this angle they introduce um, as well, very very soon after, in that they're also interested in recruiting Blake. Uh, yep. So this entire law firm is basically diabolists who, oh, sorry, it's people who used to be diabolists and kind of essentially went bankrupt they they figured they weren't going to be able to repay their massive uh debts and so they became these lawyers and and there's all sorts of stuff associated with that um but it it just adds that tiny shred of doubt where when they're doing something kind of nice you can write it off as like well they are trying to recruit me so it could be like a sign of good faith (laughs) and it's just you know you can't just not trust them which would be so much simpler there's just that shred of doubt now yeah especially later on in the chapter when one of them is like overtly helpful um, yeah and it's really like what are you getting out of this (laughs) yeah um so the lawyers explain the concept of karma i mean we all kind of you know, it's pretty similar to what we would call karma in the real human world. Um, if you do bad things, the universe conspires against you to make bad things happen to you. And if you do good things, likewise, good things will happen. Yeah, I, I still don't feel like I, I... I don't think I get this system yet. It, it I have so many questions um, about, yeah. like, specifics. But this this whole description really threw me because i thought i was finally getting a handle on the world of pact <laughs> like we got we got spirits at the start of this arc and i was really like i thought i was i thought i'd gotten to that stage where i was like yeah i know what's happening now and then this whole speech just came up and was just like no you don't yeah um, i one of the reasons i really like pact is because of all these interlocking systems and the way that they kind of bounce off of each other but (laughs) at this point in time it's really hard for me to separate in my head like how much you understand about all these different systems (laughs) so i'm just gonna kind of no comment (laughs) on it all um but you know things these kinds of things do play into each other in a lot of ways like spirits karma all this all this jazz yeah yeah i sort of got that impression but i have i have so many questions about about specifics on the karma system that i'm assuming i'll just have to wait and see because it's pretty clear blake (laughs) doesn't really get it yet either so i'm hoping as he figures it out so will i Um, yeah i think it it, we're meant to kind of get each of these systems at their most base components right like karma okay do good things good things happen bad things bad things happen but they're so clearly more intricate and more intricate ways that they play off of each other that we don't really grasp yet yeah, and we even we, we get a taste of that uh, uh, later on in this chapter. So yeah, so the thing about karma though is if you if it's it's meant to be a self balancing system, right? If you do something bad, that's fine. Something bad happens to you, all all square. But sometimes people do really bad things and amass a lot of bad karma, and the universe doesn't have a good system of like efficiently dealing with that. Yeah, so it seems to be, based on what they were saying, my understanding is if you're sort of aware of karma, you can kind of undo some of those negative effects. So like the example they give is a simple one where if you're counting the results of coin flips, then the universe won't rig them as much because it it doesn't like to be sort of so overt. So basically, if you're really clever, you can survive being in bad karmic debt by being so aware and and stacking things up so that the bad stuff doesn't really happen to you and then that can get so bad that apparently you can just sort of shatter the universe in a spot i guess is is essentially what they imply <laughs> yeah, so 
I, I would give the example of like, if you're betting on stock trades, you know, you can bet that a stock will go up, but just as you can make just as much money from betting that a stock will go down, right? And so the universe yeah. can't just always do bad things to you because then you can bank on the bad things and that is, you know, easily avoidable or negated, right? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you could do... I, I don't know enough about stocks, but there's presumably a way you could try and make money off the fact that they're all going... Yeah, well, you know, like negative gearing options, stock trade, Bitcoin, right? Like, exactly. Mm, other finance words. <laughs> I don't know enough about <laughs> stocks either. I, I assume that made sense. If you run that back in Google Translate, those words kind of made sense and made me know, sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um yeah, but you know, like if you're if you know that everything's going to go bad every time because you've got bad karma, you can you can plan for that. You can avoid it. You can mitigate it, right? Um, yeah. So it's not as simple as just well, things will always go bad for you until things balance out. The universe basically yeah. becomes fucked if you have a lot of bit bad karma. So <laughs> the the way to get around this is um, you know pass it off to your offspring or, or do all kinds of things that basically mean that the negative effects of the universe going crazy on you. Uh, can be kind of balanced out or over time. Yeah, so I, I'd been under the impression till now that the debt Rose Senior had been talking about was specifically to some sort of cohort of demons or devils or something, but it's, I, I, I now I think, oh, well, now I'm assuming it's the karmic debt, which I think is what we're meant to assume. Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty sure they outright stated that, that yeah. Rose has like racked up, or not Rose, but the Thorburn family has racked up a bunch of bad karma. And so that's why that gives some explanation to why things keep going bad for Blake, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They, people they in do. the town hate him, but also the universe hates him. <laughs> yeah, they get that moment of, oh, that makes sense. Um, I also yeah. love this moment as they're explaining this, and one of the lawyers says, these are the sorts of things Rose should have taught you. Um, and it was just like, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <sighs> yep, we know. Yeah, that's what we said, lawyer. Um, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> I mean, the original reason that Blake and Rose summoned the lawyers was to proofread this letter about Laird and, uh, you know, double check that they're not going to fuck themselves over. And the lawyers kind of confirm, yeah, it's probably fine. It'll probably be fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, And because, you know, we also get confirmation that the executions um, are basically just practitioners lending the universe a hand and acting karma. Um, So basically, if you do the letter in such a way that it doesn't represent too much bad karma then they can't just execute you yeah <laughs> and there's a moment there's a moment where you know rose has been talking about how they were trying to look up executions and they couldn't find anything on it and and the lawyer was like yeah you weren't looking in the section about karma rose is like what the fuck <laughs> yeah yeah why would we <laughs> um, yeah uh so man these lawyers i think something that keeps happening throughout this chapter is they're just so unsettling right yeah I love this quote where they're asking if the lawyers will betray them and um, and it's sort of like, no, we have no plans to do that and we'll tell you if we do. And Rose is like, explicitly? And the lawyer's like, what do you mean? And it's like, please tell us explicitly if you're going to betray us. And the, and the lawyer goes, if you wish, I or one of my partners will look you in the eye and inform you exactly what we're doing when it comes up, which is yeah. just like so casual and creepy that it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, if you need it, explicitly told to you that we're going to betray you as opposed to tangentially they're fine yep whatever yep we can do that we'll still just do it it's fine (laughs) they're so sure of themselves you know like they exist Mm. in a system that's so clearly like rigid and and fixed in its bureaucratic ways and so powerful so it's just like yeah we can just tell you we'll betray you and it will still be fine for us that's fine 
Yeah. Um, so uh, more ambiguity about the lawyers and, and what they're actually here to do is they kind of, they, they dole out allowance from the estate and they are generally helpful. They promise to organize an errand boy to get groceries for Blake and Rose, which is like, I mean, I guess not Rose, just for Blake. Yeah, so helpful, he, can get it, he right? can get his pizza. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if this errand boy will be a boy in the human sense. Um, <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think that will be interesting to see. Uh, <laughs> or some kind of pizza delivery or... gremlin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Blake is clearly trying to get more info on why they want to recruit him, and he kind of gets the sense that they're dodging a topic of conversation, and he finally kind of nails them down to figure out what, what's the catch of making a deal to get, you know, your karma erased. And apparently the catch is that, you know, when you take on this bad, when you, when you get rid of your bad karma to this demon, you give it more of a foothold in the world, basically building its power in, in the world and making life worse for literally everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so becoming a warrior isn't just a sense of deleting yourself, it's also giving these evil beings more of a foothold from wherever they're trapped and, like, God knows how they got trapped there and what that... Yeah, like, and, this and is, also... This is, like, a, a level of cosmic horror that we're sort of adding to the sense of demons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to, like serve them for a few hundred years to pay them back as well yeah i actually thought that was enough of a catch i i don't think i would have been as cool as blake when they tell you that you got to do like a a few thousand years of indentured servitude i would have been like oh well that's the catch um yeah yeah no apparently apparently that's not bad enough (laughs) no but i think i kind of agree with you but in isolation if it was just me and it's just like yeah okay you know like half of a percentage of all flowers are gonna die now or whatever that's fine but like you think this lawyer system seems like it's been in place for such a long time. So many people have taken this deal, presumably. And to me, that's what makes it scary. Like, it's not just we make this deal one time. It's humanity is kind of slowly being buried under a snow, f- under like an avalanche of, of people who have made this deal and given each of these demons slightly more of a foothold. And you're yeah. kind of contributing to that avalanche. Yeah, you're just like a sand in the hourglass. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. That's it's this sense that humanity is slowly being buried in karmic debt, as opposed to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Blake kind of toys with the idea of pledging to never ever take the deal, but he doesn't end up doing <laughs> that because he wants to have them kind of, you know, try and impress him a bit, try and woo him. Um, yeah. And so he he decides he's going to go deliver this letter to Laird. He likes their answer, and. Um, Mrs. Lewis, one of the three partners, kind of offers this compromise that she'll accompany them and keep them safe and hang out with them and be generally helpful for seemingly not a good reason. Yeah, I mean, she says it's as free as anything like this could be, which doesn't sound free to me. That sounds like just saying, I'm, I'm giving it to you cheap, but not free. Yeah. Um, she yeah. also says that she will keep them as safe as they allow, which I, even I caught this one, like, like so spoilers, like... It, she she sort of misled them here with how much she would be able to protect them and even i caught that one because it kind of called back to specifically what laird said like they were too busy yeah. trying to close the loophole that laird took they didn't close the loopholes they made laird close before going with him um yeah so you know they've got to step up their game a bit because if even i'm figuring it out they usually blake and rose are usually better at this than i am yeah but even with that loophole you know like she's not trying to screw them over the lawyers want them on the side, right? 
Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's it's sort of that you know to quote Rose, it's just selfish enough that you kind of believe that they're willing to help because yeah, I, it's in their interest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mrs. Lewis says, "Oh, you know, most of our clients are literal shitbags, so it's kind of fun <laughs> hanging out with you guys to an extent." But yeah, it's very hard to. On, this whole chapter is just on edge, and this is like it seems like it's a bit too helpful for w- the reasons that that she's giving. Mm. Um, another example of that, I suppose, is, you know, Blake has just uh, bound June and she's she's jumped into this hatchet and Blake is trying to, like, you know, properly seal her within so that she doesn't just burst out and explode. And throughout the whole chapter, we get these beats of, like, oh, June feels really cold, what's going on? And it kind of keeps you on edge that, you know, June's about to explode out of the hatchet and, and, and flash freeze everybody to death. Um, and then Mrs. Lewis is just like, oh, yeah, I'll help you. I'll... I'll fix that up for you, I'll, I'll bind her real nice and easy inside that hatchet, no charge. Mm. And it's just another thing of, like, why is she being so helpful? Like, this is clearly <laughs> something she doesn't have to do. She just kind yeah. of offers. I, I just love that that idea as well that she implants, um, that Rose Senior was actually the nice type of client they have. Like, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we've said so great. much of this story talking about how much of an asshole she is, but uh, she's on the really really nice end of the spectrum for uh diabolus lawyers yeah the uh the <laughs> the the sentence even kind of sets it up in a, in a great little way where where mrs lewis says something like um not all of our clients were like your grandmother and you're kind of like oh so they were like better and then she's like, <laughs> yeah. no no they just didn't give any of a shit they were way worse <laughs> like oh okay <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Mrs. Lewis kind of is walking and talking with Blake and Rose to, to deliver this letter. And uh, one of the things that comes up is she points out that Blake and Rose have basically been lying very consistently and have lost a lot of power. Um, <laughs> and, and they're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I went back because she sort of says that uh, Blake was probably sarcastic at some point. And, mm. and uh, we'll go into this a bit more later, but I went back and, and fairly early on in 2.3, he states um, that so, like the law, calling the lawyer's names three times is not ominous at all, which is just, you know, he was being sarcastic. Um, which is, yeah, clearly it is very ominous. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, just, it, it, it's just amazing. I didn't see it at all. Um, yeah. I, I like that it's a, such a... This, this story is set up in such a way that there are going to be multiple times where you just kind of want to go back and reread a thing to, like, double-check the wording. Like, um, mm, it happened mm. when Laird was, like, revealing how he was able to abandon them. It's happening now. You know, it's great. Yeah. It's like, wait, what did they exactly say so we can find the <laughs> loophole in it? Um, yeah, exactly. The The wording is so important to this that this book kind of is constantly encouraging you to go back and, and double-check uh, things from chapters ago. Yeah, and, and this kind of clarifies an, a, a, something about lying as well, which is it's not like you lie once and all your powers are gone forever, which is kind of how Blake and Rose have been treating it a bit. Um, it's more, you know, lies to the degree that they are lies will take away a correspondingly large amount of your power. Yeah, um, it's... Um, yeah, exactly. There's, like, different degrees, I guess. So if you break an oath, then that's really bad, and that's sort of what they were expecting. Um, and it also seems like, essentially, it just weakens you and also probably gives you bad karma. Again, these systems seem to sort of work together yeah. a bit, but uh, it's still quite vague uh, to me right now because Blake's too weak to have a good enough second sight to understand yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah. so so Mrs. Lewis is also helpful in another way. She kind of teaches Blake how to use his second sight a bit better, Um and she and he kind of sees this 
uh, other, which is kind of spying on Blake that Blake surmises is from the Briar girl who uh, seems to want something from him. Yeah, I mean, it basically sounds like it's a trubbish, like the Pokemon. Yeah, um, it's like a it's little trubbish, little, it's cute. It's like this little trash elemental, I think is the word they use. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you know, I don't know. It's not <laughs> inconceivable that Pokemon would exist in yeah, this, the Yeah, this is a Pokemon fanfic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, then uh, they're kind of still walking along and Mrs. Lewis points out that there's a car that seems to be following them. So Mm. Blake kind of checks it out with his second sight and puts together that it's uh, some Duchamps. And um, Mrs. Mrs. Lewis kind of then is like, well, I said I was going to assist you guys and keep you as safe as I could, but I don't actually have any power while I'm not working. So I'm Mm. just going to give you guys some advice on how to handle this and you just have to do it yourself. Yeah, and, and so because she has this whole sort of coach slash teacher mentality where she she's not outright giving them answers because she's she's teaching them how to figure them out uh, themselves. Yeah, and this is yeah. a great moment because then a physical threat appears in the form of a um, apparently in- incredibly beautiful woman with a giant sword. Um, a giant wobbly sword. Yep. Yeah, who, who's coming at Blake? And this is the point where you're like, okay, this isn't coaching time anymore she's like i can't actually help so i'm just gonna keep coaching (laughs) i'll just stand back and worry about this hatchet you take care of the girl with the sword yeah so i'm i'm so excited to see what this fight scene looks like next because i just imagine it's going to be blake getting these kind of obscure instructions as he's like dodging a sword uh it's gonna be great (laughs) yeah um so this this chapter really ends with a cliffhanger for for the next chapter Um, yeah we'll see how blake goes in his I mean, his first proper real fight, right? I mean, we had the stuff with Patrick, but they never really came to blows there. No, I'd say the closest we've had to a fight was Blake running away from the uh, the bird skull things in the first, yeah, in the, in the second chapter. Um, and that wasn't as much of a fight as it was Blake running away and getting his ass kicked. So we'll see what happens here. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's what this will be too. No spoilers, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, we'll we'll see how we go. Um, so, what do you think of this chapter overall, Elliot? Yeah, um, I thought this was great. I mean, it's as we sort of said, it's an exposition chapter that's introducing the concept of karma, um, but it mixes in all this tension. So, like, Blake, we didn't really call attention to it, but uh, as he's talking to the lawyers in the first half, Blake's hand is basically being frozen off by uh, June yep. and the hatchet. Um, yep. And, of course, he thinks he's keeping it cool, but they, they reveal later that they knew what was happening the whole time and just didn't offer to help because he didn't ask for it. Um, yep. But yeah, so it, it's it's great. I'm just loving the world of Pact so much. Yeah, I, um, I want to jump on that because this is like an exposition chapter. We learn about another system in this world. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna break one of the cardinal sins of this podcast and compare Pact to Worm for a little bit. Um, oh no, <laughs> yeah, I know. So in Worm, and we're gonna do a bit of spoilers here. Is you know the world of Worm is so cool and it's so coherent, but we don't actually understand the systems of how everything works until right up to the end, right? Um, we actually yeah. learn why things are how they are at the very end of the story, and it's a big mystery that we never really get many clues on until we get to the end. But Pact, we're being introduced to these systems as Blake learns about them, and we kind of start seeing how all the puzzle pieces fit together, basically from the get-go. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like it, is we have this, like, cohesive world and set of rules that that we're learning about and we're kind of seeing more and more of but it's not like we're in the dark at any point we just kind of find out more puzzle pieces as they slot into the overarching puzzle yeah i mean i guess to to sort of jump off of what you're saying i guess i'd say like worm for most of the story we only had the very high level 
uh, idea of how powers worked. And we get the, yeah. the sort of more gritty details towards the end. But really, yeah. for most of the story, um, like I think conceptually, Worm's world is a lot simpler than Pact's. So mm. not, not to say in execution it's much simpler, because like, I think one of the big strengths of Worm is how much Wadbo does with the systems he's created. Um, yeah, totally. But for most of the story, it, it it's a fairly simple concept, which is people have a bad experience and they get superpowers that kind of have these general rules. And yeah. off, off you go, whereas... Pact is so much more complex and there are all these things working off of each other. We kind of have to get told all these things or the world wouldn't make <laughs> sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like also how, you know, in in Worm there's, oh, this power has this, works this way, this power works this way. But with, uh, with Pact, it's here's the world, here's the systems, now everyone kind of play in it and, and you know, do it. Yeah, you're right. In, in Worm, everyone is their own little unique system that can just be introduced as necessary, whereas Pact, everyone's yeah. kind of working off the same fundamentals. Yeah. Um, so that's that's Damages 2.4. Now, for our, yeah. for our piece of special content this week, we want to talk about... Not this week, this bye week We want to talk this about... episode. Lies. <laughs> yeah, this episode. We want to talk about just the concept of lying in Pact, because it is an interesting... It is interesting, like, what counts as a lie, what counts as misleading, what counts as, you know, deceit. Yeah, so the lawyers, uh, or I think specifically Miss Lewis, uh, draws, I think, three types. She says, you know, lying by omission is not really a problem, um, you know, just kind of being a bit misleading with your phrasing um, is a little bit bad, and then obviously you've got outright lying, which is no good. Um, yep. but there, even between those, there's, there's like a lot of different subcategories that we can talk about and we're gonna, um, <laughs> uh, just to sort of like, like the concept of what is true as I've been studying for this section, I'm realizing is a lot more difficult to define than you would ever expect. Yeah. So, so there were a few instances where Blake and Rose have just straight up told a non-truth. Um, yep. So just obviously to plain we have, what we would call a straight up lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously we had that sarcastic uh, isn't ominous at all thing about the lawyers, which uh, yep. I, I, th I still think is the main thing that's caused Blake to lose his powers. Uh, but yep. Rose has had a couple as well. She claimed she didn't need rescue, which is either a lie or feeds into uh, something Rose isn't telling us. And she also yep. said she, she didn't care at the end of the awakening ceremony, which um, is almost certainly not true. Definitely not true. And, and Blake, <laughs> there are a few times where Rose will say something that is clearly a lie and Blake will say, Watch out, Rose. Don't lie. And it's like, well, it's too late, Blake. Sure, <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it's hard to say if Rose's lies really have any impact because she doesn't have I think powers. The lawyers, I think the lawyers implied this chapter that they did. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I, I guess we have yet to see what that means, though, right? Like, Yeah, well, Blake has, Blake has a poor enough understanding of what happens when he lies, let alone Rose. <laughs> Yes, totally. Um, so the second type of, of lies that we, we're talking about is kind of saying a blanket statement that you, you don't know is true. Um, so my favorite example of this is when Blake is talking to Maggie, uh, as he's saying goodbye, he says to her, we're going to meet again. And that's like, so that's certain wording, right? Yeah. So if Maggie just avoids it, like if Maggie moves to London tomorrow, um, yeah what happens does that mean he was wrong and it was a lie like what's the difference between being wrong and lying i guess and does it apply yeah. retroactively yeah well i think <laughs> i think um this kind of ties into the other category one of the other categories we've got here which is things that 
they think are going to be true at the time, but clearly become not true. Um, so one of my examples of this is uh, when, when Blake is, has just bound June uh, or, or she's dived into the hatchet, uh, Rose says, we need to bind the axe with something. And Blake says, hatchet, and we will inside, implying, you know, we'll go inside and then we'll, we'll, we'll shore this up. But he doesn't. Mrs. Lewis does. And so that's proven untrue, right? Yeah, she also doesn't do it inside. So, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> yeah, a ret- exactly. retroactively a false statement. Um, yeah. yeah, and then finally, like, like the, the thing I've noticed is some people seem to get called out uh, for exaggerating or using, like, idioms or common sayings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, for instance, when Blake went back to check on Barbatorum right after he awakened, uh, one of the things he told Rose is he won't say or do anything, which, like, he... He stood in the room and looked, but he was standing. Is standing a thing? Like, you know, what? Yeah, how, looking how much, around, thinking. How much is uh, is intent an aspect of this, I guess? Yeah, or um, when, when they're outside to summon June, I think it is, Blake says, oh, it's too early for this. Like, yeah. well, no, Blake, you're doing it now, so it's <laughs> therefore not too early for this. Like, is that is that a lie? What Where does that count yeah. as? Um, I think it's interesting to explore what's the line between lying and, and just you know, saying something flippant that, that could be taken with context to be okay. Yeah, so I'm very interested to see how, how much the story... I'm assuming we'll have more, a bit more clarity of this as the story goes on, but I'm interested to sort of hear people's ideas for if there are other types of, um, you know, uh, lies or misleading phrasing that should maybe count as a lie or, you know, where people draw the line. And, and you know, I'm interested to hear yeah. that in the Reddit thread this week uh, what people think about that. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to think... I mean, you know, Mrs. Lewis says, oh, you were inside when you lied, so it turned out okay, there was nobody around to see, which kind of implies lying is really contextual, like the things that maybe the spirits or the others that see you lie really define what is and isn't a lie. Um, yeah. But it's interesting, it'll be interesting to hear other, how other people interpret this. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all we, that's all we have for, uh, for uh, da- I keep wanting to say Bonds 2.4, for Damages 2.4. <laughs> um we will be back f- with uh, Damages 2.5 in a few days. But until yes. then, if you want to catch up with the show, Elliot, what can people do? Uh, well, the easiest way to, to keep up to date is to head on over to MediaMDPodcast.com uh, where you'll find links to the show and all the ways to subscribe to us on iTunes and yep. Google Play and Stitcher and the rest. If you have thoughts about this uh, chapter of Pact or uh, just our discussion thread or anything in general, you can leave that in our discussion threads. I kind of spoiled the, the punchline to that one a bit. And now discussion threads is interesting. So we're doing a proper discussion this week, which people may think, oh, they just stole that from, from We've Got Ward. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they don't own the concept of discussion, which we are on quite friendly terms with those guys. And uh, it's fine, I'm sure. Uh, they have a great show. If you like Ward, which I'm sure everyone listening to this does, you should go check out their show as well. Yes, um, or if you've read Worm and hasn't haven't listened to We've Got Worm, um, I used it as a substitute for a reread um, yep. about a year ago, and that was that was a fantastic way to really appreciate the story. I definitely recommend it. Um, if you're appreciating this podcast and this story, you can uh, review us on iTunes. The links to do that on our, our on our website. Um, I think that's everything, Elliot. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll see everybody in a few days for uh, Damages 2.5. Yes, I believe it's Friday, February 1st. February 1st. Oh, that's so soon. All right. Well, see everyone there.